We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We have a jam-packed OBR film breakdown coming at you for this Saturday. We have discussion around the contract the Bengals gave Joe Burrow, a ton of thoughts on the Kansas City Chiefs-Detroit Lions game to open the NFL season, some thoughts on how that pertains to the Browns, quarterback running, just a ton of different things going on. And then at the very end, we have a fun little segment where we look forward to the college football weekend ahead. And then the NFL games that catch our attention the most. It's your host, Jake Burns, and we are going to be joined by Andrew Spade to go through and have some fun on the latest OBR Film Breakdown. All right, it's your weekend episode. Uh, you know, I like doing these Saturday shows because we can kind of culminate uh, a bigger Browns thinking point from the week between Andrew and myself, and then also break it up with some look ahead to Saturday's college football slate, maybe a player, maybe a team you're looking into watching, and then obviously talk about the Sunday NFL slate, right? So it's a, it's a fun pod. This is what you're going to get every Saturday, and I'm always looking forward to it. So uh, Andrew, hey man, how are you? I'm doing great, Jake. It's the weekend. The weekend has arrived. Uh, I know you've you've been traveling, so it probably doesn't feel like it to you. But for those of us that have been kind of, it's a short week, but it's a hot, long week because it's the week of build up to the NFL's first week. So uh, even though it's just four days, it's still very exciting to to get to the end of it and kind of get a chance to really look forward to the weekend. Now, kind of you know turn things loose here over the next uh, few days and and the fir- the first full weekend of football. So I'm very excited. Uh, I'm thinking about I'm I'm half tempted to go try and find a college football or high school football game tonight here locally, just because the you know the weather's got that a little bit of you know it's the the heat finally broke and so you mm-hmm. know thinking maybe that would be a good way to you know kind of kick off the long football weekend. Yeah, I'm going to go up and watch the nephews play a little Marion Pleasant Sparta Highland action. So I will be watching that one. Um, if those teams ring a bell to anybody out there. Uh, hopefully it's a good thing and not a bad thing, but, uh, that's what I'll be spending my Friday night. I think you're right. You get a little weather break. It's going to be feeling very fall-like in Ohio over the coming, the coming days here. So, you know, out in Wyoming where we spent the last few days, it was, it was very fall-like. Uh, so that was a nice welcome as we missed like Ohio's 90 degree weather all week. So I didn't mind missing that at all, but, um, yeah, it looks like it's going to be nice weather. And actually looks like it's going to be nice weather come Sunday up in Cleveland, which is, which is exciting, uh, exciting too. So, 
you know, it's not going to be some 95 degree opener with a bunch of variants that happens in those overheated atmospheres. So it should be good. Um, listen, we're going to talk about, we're going to start with the injury update. I think we probably will do this mostly every Saturday because uh, it feels to me like the Friday practice is the most important practice, right? It's when you're, you're putting everything in and it's like the deadline day to see who's playing and who's not almost, you can still label them with a different status, but the thing the the Browns are in a pretty good spot, right? Denzel comes out of concussion protocol. Seems like he's okay. Right. It seems like, I don't know what, whatever that means we'll see. Um, but it seems like he's going to be a full participant. He was in practice on Friday. He will be a full participant in the game this weekend. The one that has popped up on the Brown side, as we knew on the Bengals side, only Joseph Osai was going to be missing this game. He's already been ruled out is the Juan Thornhill thing. And it's, um, it's a bummer, right? The injuries that take place at practice and you don't, there's already going to be enough injuries, Andrew, that happen in every single game that you know about that, that sting, but the ones that crop up in like a Wednesday practice are just tough to swallow where it's like all of a sudden you're really excited about Thornhill and he'll play this year. Even if he misses week one, it'll work itself out. He'll play a lot of games, but it's just a little bit of a, uh, a, a tampering uh, to your excitement. I would say a little bit with the secondary, although I do think they're a better position to lose one safety because I trust Rodney McLeod and I trust Grant Delpit. We'll see. I mean, I'm saying loosely trust. I mean, there's some things with Juan Thornhill to, to just need, you need to see everything come to fruition here, but you know, with Denzel out, I think there was some stuff at cornerback. You and I have talked about Andrew. That's a bit of a risk, but you don't like losing Thornhill. He's questionable. He did not practice the last two days. We'll see, but it wouldn't be fun. It's not going to be fun to go into this game, missing a guy who I think they paid pretty well and, and is, is a nice chess piece for them in the back half. Yeah, it's definitely disappointing. You think you, you kind of go into the practice week thinking if we get Ward back, if they get Ward back, um, that's really it, you know, and then they're fully healthy. And then you have this crop up on Wednesday and then it seems to get worse, right? Cause he, he was limited Wednesday, I guess probably got hurt during Wednesday's practice. That's why you end up limited and then hasn't practiced Thursday, Friday. So feels like he's on his way to missing the game. I, I think that, that feels pretty, pretty certain to me at this point. But like, yeah. like you said, I think McLeod and Delpit is a, is a pretty decent one too. Maybe I should have said that Andrew, that he's going to miss the game. Because apparently it would be five minutes later, he'd be off the injury report. <laughs> I have that ability. So, yeah, um, you know, yeah we'll put, test your ability. Out, to, you know what? To, put to out put a that tweet quick and just see, yeah. <laughs> see how, how far this this skill of yours goes. But, yeah, I think it's it's frustrating. Certainly, you know, I think we got a little bit of a glimpse against the Chiefs of his playmaking ability back there. And that's a skill set that I don't think Delpit or McLeod brings as much. So, that's a little frustrating because you know that the Bengals are going to be throwing the ball. And if there are picks to be had, if Burrow's not locked in because of the lack of practice, Thornhill is the, is the probably the secondary member most well positioned to be sort of that ball hawking safety. So you're going to miss that a little bit. I think, I think they probably were going to do some three safety things occasionally. So those probably go off the table as well. Uh, it, it's, it's frustrating to certainly to, to, have a player miss because of something that happened on a Wednesday. But um, like you said, they're better positioned there than they are other places across the defense or offense. So I think it'll be a, you know, it's an opportunity. I mean, we, we talked about Grant Delpit a lot this offseason as a guy who is in his last year, uh, could be a free agent after this season if the if the Browns don't resign him. So, you know, what, what can he kind of take a, that first step uh, against Cincinnati and really prove that he belongs as a starting safety in the NFL? That would be great. 
He had a really strong close to last year, so you hope he can sort of continue to perpetuate that and, and parlay it, like we said, to some sort of bigger payday down the line. He becomes one of the better safeties, both multifaceted, right? I think he's a nice and effective run defender. Can he get a better, you know, ball hawking ability? Like you said, that I can't think of the last time we've seen a safety really jump a route effectively like that Thornhill pick. And that was exciting to see. We've sort of thought John Johnson would be able to do a little bit more of that. We also thought Grant Delpit earlier in his career would be able to do a little bit more of that. We didn't see it. You know, hell, they're playing Anderson Deho. They've, they've been searching at safety, right? Ronnie Harrison never quite panned out. So you feel good about these three guys, and we know that Ronnie McLeod is uh, experienced, to say the least, right? He's been around the game a lot. He's been around Jim Schwartz. He'll fit in fine. But I think that there's an excitement with Juan Thornhill about what he can do as a center fielder, rangy, split safety at times type as well. And it would be it's going to be a bummer if he doesn't play. Yeah, you know, it's going to be a bummer that he won't be out there. It's not the kiss of death that I think some other injuries could be in this game, but it does not help their cause all too much. So all eyes will be on that. We'll see if he warms up in the pregame and questionable is not doubtful. Right. That's the thing. So that's encouraging. Um, but it is not uh, feeling like the most positive path forward here, like Andrew said. So I think you have to go into this game with the presumption that he will not be out there with them. And that's a that's just a bummer. It's just a bummer to happen kind of out of nowhere in the middle of a practice week. But that's football. That's life. That's the NFL. And hopefully he plays 17. What is it now? They play 17, right? So now 16 other games. Let's hope he's a part of those. So uh, let's shift over, though. Joe Burrow sends a massive deal. I think this was coming. I recorded with some Bengals guys earlier in the week, the Locked On Bengals group, uh, and they're great guys. We're talking about like kind of some anticipation about maybe Burrow would sign Wednesday. Maybe he would sign uh, Thursday, you know, Wednesday because of the his time with the media, they thought it was a possibility. And then it just out of nowhere happens Thursday. What, what an interesting time to drop that news, right? Like, right. Like it was yeah. like the first drive of the Thursday night football game. He gets paid 275 million uh, NFL record, right? I think that number is the NFL record. And then his 219 and some change of guaranteed dollars is also of note, right? It pushes up toward Watson's number as close as anybody has pushed to that number. So, you know, that's also interesting. And there's a lot of layers to peel back here. Again, you and I had poked fun at this, I think, earlier in the week that, you know, would Joe Burrow give some sort of team money break, right? Like help them out because we'll talk about it in a second, but T. Higgins' situation is sitting there looming. It was a little bit all over the social media timeline today about some some quotes that came out around that that contract that T. Higgins has out looming. So, um, listen, good for Burrow, right? It's pretty cool to see, like, I saw a picture of, Freshman Joey uh, Nick Bosa and freshman Joe Burrow together at Ohio State is pretty funny to think these guys made a $170 million contract and a $275 million contract in the same week. Uh, but this is what I expected. Joe Burrow, who's gone through knee surgery, he's gone through a lot of things in that, but he should get every single penny he can get. And he got it. The Bengals will deal with some of the fallout of that because of Mike Brown's cash fluid situation, which is different from some others own, other owners in the league, Andrew. But I'm happy for Joe getting the money I think he deserves. I'm also super duper fascinated, man, to watch how this plays out for Cincinnati. We're already seeing a little bit of that stuff, right? So what's your reaction to it? And then obviously I would ask you to kind of comment on, you know, T Higgins, right? Yeah. Does that feel like, because that's, that's huge. That's looming. And, you know, if you take T Higgins off the field and Tyler Boyd's getting older and you don't keep him around, that goes from just, it's just Jamar Chase. And that's yep. tough, right? Jamar's great, but you can, one guy is different than, than, than three that they're currently presenting down the line as far as, you know, pushing this out into the future. So uh, give, give me everything you kind of thought initially and how you've sort of uh, gathered it a, a 24 hours after this, this whole thing's dropped. Yeah, a few things. I would say first, um, I feel like we all know Joe Burrow as a player well enough to know that 
it probably was not an accident that he wanted this to be announced while the Chiefs were on the field. I, I don't I don't think I don't <laughs> think that's a coincidence I love that. at all. There's I I just don't believe that because you know, I saw a little reporting last night that it was done and they were just waiting on the final okay from Burrow. And I think, you know, he kind of felt like that's that's a good as good a time as any to kind of pull a little bit of the spotlight. And I think I yeah, I like it too, but I also think like some of what we were talking about with the hometown discount stuff. I think the 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 reason that that was something that was floated with him and not some of the other guys like Justin Herbert, for example, is because you know Joe is from you know Southeast Ohio, right, and ha- has been pretty vocal about how much you know being a quarterback of an Ohio football team means to him, and I think how much he likes being a part of a you know an organizational turnaround, and you know the the quote this off season of you know, as long as I'm here, that's the window, I think is, is to me, that's a, a clear indication that he feels, you know, a, a, a relationship with that franchise that is very meaningful to him. Uh, but it, I think it also, like the timing of this announcement, the amount of the contract tells me that Joe is also, at the same time that all those things are true, is also a player that is very proud of his ability and cares to be you know, the highest paid player in the NFL and a, and a guy with a whole lot of guarantees in his contract because there was no discount here whatsoever. And it, that's fine. I have no problem with that, but it does put the Bengals specifically in a really tough spot because they absolutely had to give Joe Burrow whatever market setting, but fair contract he wanted. They were not in a position to negotiate over much with him on this. And I, so I think, you know, in a lot of a lot of senses, this is probably a contract that that Burrow and his agent wrote as much as the Bengals did. So now, as you mentioned, the the question becomes, you know, what's the fallout from that, and what comes next? Whether or not they sign T. Higgins, you know, and I think there's there, you know, now Higgins's agent is doing some positioning ahead of the of the first weekend, saying, you know, that it's unlikely he'll be back with the team. Um. Whether or not they re-sign Higgins, the the die is already cast here in terms of how much harder the Bengals' job will be going forward, right? And when you have a player as good as Joe Burrow on a rookie contract, you are you are doing NFL personnel with an easy button. There's, there's just no doubt about it because you can afford to cover up your mistakes by bringing in more players. The the Bengals have have made their free agent dollars count, but you can draft poorly and sign free agents to replace those draft picks. You can uh, miss, miss on a guy in free agency and and move on. You have that sort of flexibility. The Browns have been through that now too. And so the pressure's on both teams equally. And so, you know, the timeline matters here, right? Watson's contract was hitting the books as, as of when he signed it, whereas Burroughs contract is still going to take a little bit to really, the cap numbers will stay low for a while because it's an extension. But it's coming for them, and and you know I think there's a I think there's a scenario in which they sign J- Chase and Higgins and try and keep that together, understanding that that's their best avenue to being relevant year in year out, and then just say we'll figure out the rest. It'll be even if it's you know the other 19 players on our team are street free agents, you know uh, replacement level players, we've got a chance because that attack is as good as any in the league. I think that's a possibility. I also think it's a possibility that they play hardball with Higgins, Higgins walks away 
and they figure like the best combo we can have is Chase and Burrow and still like a pretty good defense and some other moving pieces. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it because I think either way it's going to be a tough choice. Yeah, we're seeing them do uh, some things with the secondary. You let your two experienced safeties go. This is an example. And then again, the 49ers give both 170 million because they're playing Brock Purdy, 934,000. Like this is the stuff you're, they're going to have to continue to be creative, right? They got out in front of those linebackers, but the defensive line, you know, I know they gave Hendrickson another year. It's going to get a little trickier for them up front. That's why you drafted Miles Murphy to try to have him step in for one of those guys up front at some point. The offensive line will sort of tighten up. They're going to have to probably draft a tight end in the coming years maybe even draft a receiver simultaneous to that, maybe a second round receiver like again, T Higgins, right? Um, which is actually, I think T was a first round guy, wasn't he? I could be wrong on that. Or was he a late first, first pick or, of the second round? Or, so that's right. Cause Clyde Edwards, Alaire went to pick before. Yeah. And that was kind of funny that's watching right. the wide receiver group for the chiefs last night. But, but anyway, mm-hmm. like that's what they're going to have to do. And they're putting that pressure on themselves via the secondary. They spend second rounders right. on, Cam Taylor Britt and DJ Turner and the first round pick on Dax Hill. They signed Cheeto to, and this is what you were talking about a minute ago, the free agency stuff. They hit on that. So it's just a, their, their roster building will tighten up, right? Their flexibility to be creative. The Browns have showed us now, and, and Jack has been writing on this for a while about how, even though the Browns have chunky contracts that they pass to free agents or some of their own guys, their cash flow spending has created an advantage, even though they have some of those chunky parts of their uh, salary cap table, right? The Bengals will not get the same Jimmy Haslam luxuries. I don't envision that, Anderson. They're going to have to be really good at this. And to their credit, the Jermaine Pratt's, the Logan Wilson's, some of these DBs hit, right? They, T Higgins, another one that wasn't an early select. Like you've got to keep hitting those. Right. And like, we'll see, we'll see, man. There Again, it's just your margin for error tightens up. And if you don't have an owner that can keep opening up deep pockets to give you some flexibility and void year creations and others, it just gets harder. So not to say they can't do it. They could very well do it. It's just not going to be the same path as the Browns uh, have, have painted here. And, you know, I think that's worth mentioning uh, when you look at a contract this big. But it's also too, like Andrew, you said before the show, this is a, another trickle indication of like you could be mad about the two hundred thirty million dollar Watson deal, but this is all going in that direction, right? What you know, Joseph, yeah. you know, the next quarterback contract is probably going to pay two twenty five. I don't know who the next right. guy up to be paid is. I haven't even paid attention to that because it seems like this wave has now been paid. But it's going to be there before, you know, the Browns are what? You Trevor, know? probably, right? Trevor's probably it. Yeah, right. I think that's fair. I mean, I know some people believe that Tua will, you know, challenge if he has a great year, but I don't yeah. see that being the number It'd be that tough he to gets be the record to. holder. Yeah, I would very much agree. So, you know, man, I don't know. I really don't know. I know a lot of folks want Mahomes to try to get his deal restructured because he's the, the best yeah. at the position, but he also has said some things like, it's not about money. Like he, like he really is all about just legacy. And I don't know if he'll chase that renewal contract thing. You know, we'll see. I, I don't know, but it, it'll be there with Watson before we know it. The number will be the same. And, and this isn't an open market. If you put Joe Burrow 
if Joe Burrow said, I'm leaving the Bengals, I will approve five teams to trade. Like he would have received $290 million contract from some team. Yeah. I was going to say 300 guaranteed. No problem. No doubt. So Mm -hmm. I I continue people that want to gloss over the way that that Watson thing, you know, shook out is just because you, you want to, you want to just avoid obvious facts. So, well, and it, it's relevant because this is a conversation not only about what the Browns did last offseason, but it's also about like, did they completely price themselves out of the quarterback market by getting too aggressive? And I, so if Watson returns to the level of 2020 and we talked the other night about he, he has his eyes set on even loftier goals, then his contract's actually a fine value that that's where the NFL quarterback contracts are right now. So, you know, I think that there's, there's this narrative because it happened out of order that, you know, the Browns quote unquote overpaid, but as you said, it was a free agent, you know, bidding war. So that's, that's one factor. But another factor is a year later, you know, the market has adjusted in such a way that his contract seems pretty reasonable. So, you know, obviously again, it hinges on him getting back to being that type of a quarterback, but that's kind of a different conversation, right? Because, you know, players sign free agent contracts all the time and don't live up to their billing that that's a sort of a fact of NFL life. That's not the same thing as saying that the Browns, you know, bent the market completely out of shape to get this player in their building. It was, it was, they were a little bit high a year ahead of time to, to make sure they got their guy. But mathematic, when you're talking about the difference between 230 and $219 million of guaranteed money, it's just not significant. And I think that something worth remembering with these is you're always paying, no matter what you do, projecting a guy's fit in your system, you're paying them for past production. (laughs) There's just no way around it. There's no way around it. So, you know, I get, like I said, you're you're always projecting and trying to, how does he fit? How does he improve our roster? But they're then that position because of what they have done. And there's just no guarantee that that future part of it is going to yield itself to be the player that you thought they were going to be. There's no guarantees. It's just like a draft pick in a sense, a little less uncertainty, but right. Like still some uncertainty. Is this guy going to be the same as he was in, you know, LA as he is in Cleveland and you, you know, you've seen that work itself out. Um, what we should do though, is shift over to our bigger Browns thought of the week. Um, I'll go ahead and go first because I think it, you know, I've two sort of off the game last night, Andrew. So the first, and I don't really want to hammer this point because it's not that important. Um, the Chiefs certainly seemed, you know, they didn't seem great, but, but let me say this. The Chiefs are Travis Kelsey driven. They are, they just are. And it's just like Travis Kelsey's not a tight end to me. He's a wide receiver. He is as great. He doesn't block. <laughs> He's a tight end because it's fun to label these guys as tight ends. And it's like, he doesn't really block that much. He's a receiver. And when you're missing your number one receiver, the gravity of the whole game and your game plan changes. And, you know, the, the thing is, we're all talking about the Chiefs receivers suck, which, again, they were bad. Kadarius Tony will maybe perhaps never live that game down. I, I don't know. We'll see. But they're not very good. And I don't even think they were very good last year. Right. They like had Nicole Hardman and Juju Smith-Schuster had a decent year, but largely the talent is the same at wide receiver there, in my opinion. It's just you didn't have Travis Kelsey and you lose by a point where the they had to yeah. be like this awful drop from Tony that goes right in the hands of um, Branch. Right. Brian Branch is like, I, I just there's a huge reaction on the Chiefs, as always. Week one will bring about. And it's like, hey, they scored 14 points. 
the Lions did on offense. They got a nice tip, the, the flukiest of interceptions they returned, and they won. And congrats to the Lions. That game that, that they just won might swing the culture of their entire season. It really might. And and I have to admit, like, I was just wrong about, you know, the Lions situation. Not that I was wrong about the Lions situation. More, more the, I think, Dan Campbell, when, when that hire happened, I think it was just easy to kind of laugh at it. I, I, he gets guys to believe. He might be down the line. Again, could be cart in front of the horse here, but he's got some Tomlin qualities. Like, he just does. Like, you can just see how players respect him is what I'm getting at. I don't know if he'll – do the things Tomlin has done because he's not, he's not in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has just always been, you know, Tomlin arrived with the peak Ben Roethlisberger and all of that. And it parlayed into success. And like, you know, taking over Detroit's a little trickier than taking over Pittsburgh, but you can just see how it's like the guys just respect him. And I'm like, I thought that was stuff would come off corny and it clearly hasn't. There is a level of buy-in there that I just think I was wrong about. I don't know if Detroit will go on and do anything that matters, but I think Dan Campbell as a head coach has earned some respect uh, for me. I, I'm just giving my stance because I thought that was going to be a horrible hire, but um, that's the, the first part of my takeaway. Um, I don't know. You can respond to that if you want, Andrew. I have a second part that I think is a little bigger, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right about the game. It's, it's a, a one point win by a team that was helped by a defensive turnover like that is, you know, not something you want to take too many lessons away from. I mean, we, we've talked a lot when we've been kind of in prediction mode over the fa- past few weeks about how the NFL is 17 one-week seasons. And it's a, that's a coaching cliche, but it really is true. And oftentimes those individual one-week seasons hinge on something very fluky happening. And Kadarius Tony had, I think, the worst possible game a wide receiver can have in the NFL, uh, not just the, the pick six drop, but then two other third down conversion drops, one of which was late in the game and would have put them into field goal range. So, you know, if he doesn't completely forget how to catch the football, the chiefs probably win that game. It's really as simple as that. And part of the NFL is being able to capitalize when the breaks go your way, you know, and the, and the lions did that, but I, you know, that the state of the chiefs defense them only giving up, as you said, 14 offensive points to Alliance offense that I think we thought was going to be really, really good and brought, might, you know, might still be pretty good. I think that is maybe the biggest takeaway that I have from the game is that I, I thought the Chiefs defense ended up playing better than I thought they would. And I thought the Chiefs struggled with the lack of receiver depth more than I thought they would. You know, And I mean, your point about Travis Kelsey is absolutely right, but to see it that vividly was still really shocking, you know, and you, you, you know, they were confident last night. They were talking about Kelsey coming back next week, but he is 33 years old, right? It's not young. Yeah. A player at that position, you know, I mean, part of it is his guile, obviously his sort of mental ability is going to keep him relevant long after physically he can't compete, but I, we always talk about when we talk about injuries, I think they matter more to older players because it's just harder for older players to recover from them. It's just, you know, to get back to where they were. And so I, you know, I will continue to watch that just because I don't hundred percent think that you can assume that Travis Kelsey is going to hit the ground running next week as the Travis Kelsey that we know. And if he's limited and none of these other wide receivers take a step forward, that's when it starts to become a question of how much can Mahomes really do on his own and where else does the help come from? 
yeah, I know the Chiefs have been to like five straight AFC championship games and they're priding themselves on that. But would you rather go, you know, push Kelsey early in the season that breaks his body down late in the year and have that game at home than, than just like have a fully healthy six, you know, give him five weeks off, have a healthy peaking offense with Travis healthy, right, ready to go. And you maybe have to go play at Buffalo or, or hell in Cleveland, right? That'd be great, right? Like, I just think that right. like yep. their whole thing is, we got to get him back. Like, why? Like, why are you got? You just need a lotto ticket to the playoffs. Like, you don't need to chase home field to this degree. That means putting a thirty-three-year-old out there with a hyperextend. And again, we don't know the severity of it. It might not be anywhere near as bad as we think it is, especially to flirt with actually playing him. But it's just like a whole bunch of why to me. Like, why? Why are you stressing it? Get those receivers reps. The only way Kadarius Tony maybe gets better, gets out of the funk, is to put him back on the field and throw him the ball again and see if he can handle it. Right. So, like, just keep right. working those guys and. You know, like I said, if he comes back and you're two and three or three and two, your season's not over. So it's it's a bit of a strange thing. But you're right. Like I thought the lines were very tense. It was a, it was an atmosphere in a moment that it it was just it felt like a lot for them. And I think they made that that the, the goofy fumble off of a long drive, and they seem very tight. And I think the Browns will get into some of those moments this year too, and we'll see how they respond because they've been in some in 2020. A core group of them were, and, and Watson has been in some of those himself uh, himself. But it's been a minute three years removed and we'll see how they play. You got to get used to those. The only way you get used to those moments is to be in them as often as you possibly can. So the takeaway yeah. is, Hey, gutty win by the lions, right on good. Congrats. Right. And they're, you're going to, they're probably going to have a great start to the year and they'll be better. They probably should give the ball to Jameer Gibbs a little bit more just saying from a fantasy perspective, <laughs> maybe give him a little bit more. Uh, but I do think that their offense has a lot of fun tools and Amon Ra is really good. And uh, look, listen, Sam Laporta looks like a very, like I saw something that said, you know, week one tight ends over the last five years, I think in week one, uh, I think first or second round tight ends had like five catches total collectively, most of them, and then Laporte already had five. So again, I'm not yeah. here to talk about the Lions on this podcast, but it's going to be fine. The Chiefs are going to be fine too. Chiefs are going to win a ton of games. So whatever. And I just to add one more little Browns related button, having kind of denigrated the Lions win a little bit, I will say to your point, that is exactly how you kind of change your fortunes as an organization, mm -hmm. right? is that you kind of have a ball fall into your hands and then you kind of know what to do with it in that situation. And that, like, I would take the way the Lions won that game on Sunday for the Browns beating the Bengals 100 times out of 100. Without a doubt. You know, there was, I think I saw something bouncing around Twitter earlier this week of like, would you prefer a, a you know, a Browns loss where Watson looks really good or a Browns win where Watson doesn't look that great? It's like, I, I think we are both on the same page that, what matters in the NFL, and this is what we saw last year again and again and again, is figuring out how to win a game. And if week one, Watson is inconsistent and you lean on Nick Chubb or, you know, um, Denzel Ward has another pick six against the Bengals, whatever it, whatever the recipe is, getting that win against Cincinnati at home goes so much further towards turning the Browns in the right direction than Watson putting up 400 yards. Yeah, it's like the, the playoff game in Pittsburgh, right? You know, like you just exactly. you just do whatever it takes, whatever, it whatever it takes. Yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, we want Deshaun Watson to be great. And I guess like there would be a lot of positive to take from like a shootout loss, I guess. I mean, the defense stuff, there's always yin and yang. The defense would be like, well, what's wrong with them? Or there's both sides to that coin. Right. I, I But again, win, just win games. And that's how you change. That's the only way to change culture is winning. So um, whatever, whatever it takes. The other thing I wanted to say before, uh, we, we totally move off of that is my bigger thing is like, Hey, quarterbacks run. If you have a guy who can run, 
Mahomes is the fastest slow guy I've ever seen. He is just somehow <laughs> able to consistently make guys miss. Like watching Hutchison get close to him last night constantly, and he's, he somehow finds a way to get rid of it. It's an innate ability he has. Now, what stood out to me is as the as the as the Lions were clearly playing split safety, they're playing too high. They're playing they're playing two man, a lot of two man underneath. And, and playing two safeties deep. Now, the risk you run into is nobody has their eyes on the quarterback except for two guys way downfield. So that means if you don't bottle them up, you know, and the Chiefs had a way of clearly making sure Juwan Johnson was not going to let anybody come off the right side with that with that little kick step fun he was doing. But, like, I just think that the, the game plan for the Lions was clearly if he runs, he runs. And I think that some of that stuff will happen with Watson. And what my general point here is when you watch Mahomes run, Nobody is like you think that, OK, quarterbacks running, he's going to get hit and it's going to hurt. He's going to get hit by somebody. He's going to get drilled. But if you watch him run like nobody's here's what everyone's afraid of. If you launch into the quarterback to punish him for running and he starts to slide and you either hit him in the helmet or it's just one of those, you know, oh, my God, like reactions from people and the flags thrown. You got a suspension possible. Uh, sorry, a, a uh, fine possible suspension. You could get targeting and be tossed from the game like. My thing is, I think people are afraid to attack running quarterbacks like we used to see just because of the upgrade um, in, uh, I don't know if upgrade's the right word, but just the heightened awareness of protecting these guys is if you watch Mahomes all night, like even when he gets hit by defensive linemen, they're trying to help him up and make sure he's okay. There's almost this idea of we don't want to hurt him. I don't think Watson has the same benefit of that. Respect the way that Mahomes does, which is sort of like you had mentioned off air, Andrew Peyton Manning-esque at times and Tom Brady-esque as well. Where it's like, yeah, I want to sack Tom Brady, I want to sack Peyton Manning, but like, I also don't want to hurt him because like they're likable dudes, and Mahomes has that. But when he's running, what stood out to me is like, I'm thinking about the Washington game where he's picking up these first downs with his legs. Like the, he should be running a lot. Like he should be running. Not saying giving up on concepts, but he needs to be picking up yards with his legs because no, none of these defenders want to hit the quarterback like this. Like they, they, they used to. There used to be a day where if you was a quarterback and you ran like. Even if you slid, you were going to get drilled. Like you were just, you were going to be punished for it. And I just don't think, Andrew, that there's the punishment that used to come to these guys from that. And in my opinion, if I'm a guy like Watson who has clearly a gifted ability to run, not oh, like superpower stuff like Lamar and some of these others, but he can run six, 700 yards in a season. I'd be running a little bit more, man, because I just think that that's an element to how teams are going to defend the Browns. If you look at like, think about that ball that he missed to Elijah Moore in the Chiefs game, right? They played, they walked up, played press man, and they played safety help over top. Like, I just think he's going to have a lot of opportunity that if he can break the pocket or step up and escape like we saw Mahomes, he can run for 40 yards a game. And like, those are the ways that three play drives that are three and outs turn into seven, eight, nine, 10, 15 play drives. And like, that's just, I'm drawn to like, hey, I want a quarterback that can do what Mahomes was doing last night, which is a guy that can get out and scramble and create those yards where it's dead downfield, something's covered. And, and you can get those cheap and easies. And he's a better athlete than him. So I would think that Watson would be doing a lot of this this season because, again, I think the, sh the, the frame of mind of defensive players has shifted away from punishing the quarterback to just getting this SOB on the ground without getting some dumb flag or some dumb penalty or, you know, or sort of some like penalty after the game. You know what I'm saying? Like a suspension or whatever, a fine. These guys don't want that. So they're very cautious about how they go about the quarterback who could at any moment slide and you know, if you launch into him and you slide, it's a, it's a huge penalty. It's a 15 yard penalty. So 
I don't know, man. I just hope Watson really takes advantage of, of, of a gift he has there. And at a time where I think defensive players are less inclined than ever to punish quarterbacks. Yeah, I think there's kind of two pieces to this. Your your point is quarterbacks don't get punished anymore. Defenders get punished, right? So the way this works now is the quarterbacks, there's not really a downside to the quarterback. I mean, I suppose, the, the you know, you talk about the possibility of injury, but you know, um, that has become a fairly remote possibility. And especially with the larger quarterbacks that can hold up to a little bit of the abuse, but defenders get punished pretty harshly for late hits on quarterbacks. It's a 15 yard penalty. And as much as it's that, and you go back to what happened at Joseph Asai in the AFC championship game, hitting Mahomes laid out of bounds. It's the mental stuff. It's the, it's the feeling you let the team down. It's the being the guy that the coaches are are yelling at on the sidelines. And so, you know, we hear all the time, football is a game that has to be played at full speed. You can't hesitate. And what you see on tape when you see Patrick Mahomes or any of any of the, you know, Josh Allen, any of the best quarterbacks in the league running, when you see them running, you see players on defense hesitating because they know what it means to hit that quarterback. And you it's very hard to time your tackle exactly right not to be late because th- this is a, penalty that they will call on you even if you have left your feet when the quarterback is still a runner the risk reward he gives himself up to slide the risk reward of it is not there anymore right and quarterbacks know that the the good quarterbacks know i can kind of meander my way around the field as long as i'm not about to get crunched i can just keep going and then i as soon as i start my slide i'm safe so they're all kind of running with one foot in one foot out other than, you know, like Lamar and Josh Allen who run like their hairs on fire all the time. But yeah, I think, so that's one part of it is that it definitely makes sense. And I agree with everything you said. The question I have is how does Kevin Stefanski feel about that? Because I, I, I hope that he agrees with us. You know, I, (laughs) I hope that he sees it the same way. I worry sometimes that he is by nature, you know, uh, uh, this is, this goes back to the conversation we've had all offseason. How much is he going to allow Deshaun to kind of be himself? Now, obviously, if Watson wants to run, he's going to run, right? But how much has Kevin behind the scenes in the meeting room on the practice field been emphasizing to Deshaun, let's find our third read in the pocket. Let's not get out. Let's not, ex- you know, how much has that been the coaching point? I will really be curious to see on Sunday when those opportunities present themselves, how eager Watson is is to get out there, right? Because I think we saw it a fair amount in the preseason, right? Especially against Washington. He was one, two and gone multiple times on that first drive. I I would hope that that would be the case against Cincinnati. The other thing that I just want to add quickly, I think that those sorts of scrambles really help Watson get into the flow of the game. I I think they, they, you know, I remember seeing that a few times last year. Uh, he's, He's struggling. He's not in rhythm. He makes a, a, a run for a first down, and then all of a sudden his next pass is out on time, and it's a dart, right? And so I think, you know, like you said, it doesn't have to be every play. It doesn't have to be a lot of designed run stuff, but take those opportunities. If if you're on the edge and there's nobody except a safety looking at you, go get eight yards, get down, you know, and, and like you said, maybe somebody comes in a little soft and you can walk right by them and turn it into 20 yards. I think it's a it's a great point about where the NFL is going, and the Browns have one of those guys now they haven't for quite a while. Yeah, there used to be a day where like hitting the quarterback and taking his head off was cool. You remember the jacked yes. up segments and oh, all of that stuff used to be really cool, but then 
I feel like we've gotten to this point where there is absolutely no benefit to being like, again, they, these guys used to take dirty hits, these court, like you can't do that. Cause if you do it, the public will hate you. The fine will happen possibly suspended. And it's like, as a defensive player, you're just playing like two hand touch with these quarterbacks. It's just, that's it. So if I'm a quarterback with a gift like Watson and to your point, Andrew makes him who he is and allows him to sort of feel like he's frustrating the defense and he's helping his offense and it gets him in a rhythm. I, I expect it to be a lot of what he does, but I just was watching that game last night thinking, my Lord, man, like, why would you not be doing this as often as, you know, a scheme allowed? And I hope to your, your general point there that Kevin has done nothing to deter him from that. And we don't have any signs of that, right? You know, we saw the Washington game, right? You know, you want your quarterback to sit in and read things and process things and throw the football when he can, but I want him being himself too, right? I want him being himself. So yeah, um, I hope that yeah. we see a decent amount of that on, on Sunday, Andrew. Um, I want to give you a chance to hit yours too real quick before we take a break. Yeah, I, I mean, it's this is born out of just the frustration of being in this weird sort of dead period, you know, the two weeks between the last preseason game, now that it's a full two weeks, you know, it used to be that they would play the Thursday before Labor Day and it'd be like a 10-day period. Now that it's a two, two full weeks, you know, and the Browns played two weeks ago Saturday, so it's going to be 15 days. It's just too long and there's nothing to talk about. And so what everybody has decided to do, Jake, is everybody has decided to look at what the Pittsburgh Steelers did in the preseason and be like, yeah, this is a Super Bowl team. Yeah, this is... Everything I've seen from Kenny Pickett has me convinced that this is a Super Bowl team. And it leads me to sort of a broader point about how we talk about uh, NFL teams in the preseason subjectively versus objectively, right? Because what, what I think happens with a team like the Steelers is that media members spend a month telling you how little the preseason matters and how, you know, we can't take much away from it, but as soon as there's something to get excited about, who is going to stop themselves from getting excited? It's human nature. So when you start to look at predictions, really you're took, you're talking about the human element versus the, you know, the, the excitement of uh, the human element and the excitement of the new and the exciting, you know, which is Kenny Pickett turning into a really good quarterback versus the truth of kind of where the Steelers are as a team. And it's not just the Steelers, right? It's not just the Steelers. It's not just the Browns. The same thing's happening with the Lions. There are other teams. The Jets obviously are, you know, a shoe-in top 10 team, even though we don't know what their offense is going to look like. So I just thought it was worthwhile to kind of talk again about like what DVOA or, you know, uh, PFF, who tries to be a little bit more analytical in their preseason rankings or you know Mike Clay has that whole thing where he goes through and ranks every position group one through 32 and so his rankings PFF's rankings and the DVO ranking DVOA rankings tend to be kind of similar in a way that the subjective rankings aren't and so you know I just wanted to mention that that idea and talk a little bit about you know I mean DVOA is is incredibly high on the Browns they have them winning the AFC North they have them ranked higher than you know, I, I mean, obviously they have them winning the division, so they have them ranked higher than every other team in the division. They had them seventh overall, really kind of in the same bucket as the Chiefs, Bills, and Jets at the top of the AFC. And so, you know, that's, I mean, the, the, they have the Ravens right behind at eight, and then they've got the Bengals at nine. So it's kind of three AFC North teams all in one pod. 
that's much higher than anybody else, right? If you look at across the board, I've got this list of like 18 different preseason power rankings. The the Browns are averaging around 15, 16. Uh, some, a few, few people have them much lower. Uh, Mike Florio's got them at 22, <laughs> you know, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and he's got, and, uh, Connor Orr, you know, has them at 22. And so, um, there's some, some, some outliers on the low side, but mostly it tends to group right around middle of the pack. And I just think, you know, but then Mike Clay has them ninth, for example, right? PFF has them, uh, right outside the top 10 at 11. So those ranking systems tend to value more how the Browns have built this thing and expect more that Watson will kind of revert to what he has been rather than what people saw at the end of last season. And so I just think it's, it's when we're looking at preseason predictions, I think it's worth keeping in mind that teams like the Steelers, it's human nature to get excited about what they've done in the preseason and kind of overemphasize that. Whereas if you look at Kenny Pickett's numbers over last year, he was not a very good quarterback. Right. And it's, it's so, so th- they're really two sides of the same coin here. The, the Steelers have benefited from a lot of preseason hype and the Browns have been hurt by, a, you know, we've talked about it a few times now, the media, you know, um, belief that Watson's performance at the end of last year is indicative of the type of quarterback that he is going forward. So, um, you know, I think, this all comes out in the wash, obviously, this weekend. I mean, both teams play really good teams, right? The, the Browns obviously host the Bengals. The Steelers host the 49ers. And I also think it's worth mentioning, just while we're on this topic, those spreads are identical, right? So both both the 49ers and the Bengals are favored by two points on the road. So that kind of, I think, goes to this argument that, that the perception, at least in Vegas, if you think the 49ers and Bengals are about the same, which I think, you know, ranking wise, they're in the same sort of group nationally, perception wise, then that would also put the Steelers and the Browns in sort of the same sort of group nationally. And so it feels like it kind of comes out in the wash and obviously we'll see what happens on Sunday and we'll start to have a better sense of, you know, where this is headed. But it's just interesting to me the way that perception gets shifted so much in a month, right? We, we're, I, I think if you had done these power rankings at the beginning of August, the Steelers would have been solidly 16, 17, 18, instead of now they're up to like 14. So they've moved four or five spots based only on like, you know, a few drives in the preseason. Yeah. They look, you know, a couple things to add to that is that they have been um, a team again that you looked at it, you looked at Kenny Pickett last year and you're like, this is easy to see. This is the, the fourth best quarterback in the division. They're going to be the fourth place team. Like that was pretty much the entire off season run up. Right. And uh, you know, then you ask people to, to not pay attention to the preseason, which is hard because it's the only football evidence you have. He's looked good in those preseason games. And then you're like, okay, I see Pittsburgh's angle. I see where they could be better. Well, who do we move down? Well, it's just as logical. You move down the Browns. So I'm not really finished about that. I'm just kind of like, I'm amazed at how from the start of August to now, we, we always tell people to ignore the preseason. And I think that's obviously fair, but um, in this case, no one is. <laughs> it's just interesting how people are allowing the Pittsburgh preseason. And I think it's amazing how much video comes out from Pittsburgh's camps, like the, the, the T Higg or the, uh, sorry, the <laughs> George Pickens. Camp. Like I, I feel like a lot of full field video comes out from their camp. And from that, a lot of hype has just been built up. And again, 
dude, then you have people that like, like, we well, like the Browns. I like the Ravens. I like the Bengals. Well, who do you move down? And it's just logical. So I'm not even, and I know you're not saying this either. I'm not really worried about the Browns being moved down. I don't give a shit really. But like, it's just been funny to watch the Pittsburgh thing take off. And it's all driven by preseason, a few preseason drives. And it's like, I thought we were smart enough as a football culture to not pay much attention to these preseason games. Yet here they are becoming the darling. And, and I think an amazing level of uh, movement in a month, but that's largely personally driven. I think, like you said, I think that yep. the numbers based yep. people are the ones you should be paying attention to and they have not moved them quite as much. So um, yeah, let's leave it at that. I think you and I have hammered that point pretty thoroughly, but I, I think we'd be remiss <laughs> if we have not talked about how crazy it's been, this meteoric rise for Pittsburgh going from like, no, like I remember a month or two ago, you and I were like, nobody believes in us. Pittsburgh kind of sucks. Like Mike Tomlin yes. can rally yeah. around that idea better than any coach, but it is completely shifted off of that. So we'll see how it pans out, but I don't like to do any sort of predicting about the Steelers because they they never die. They just never die. But uh, we'll see. No, but but I'll I'll tell you that I I mean I I think the 49ers go in there and take care of business on Sunday. I'll I'll predict that much. Okay, you got it. That's what. Listen, we're going to talk about some games we're very interested in. That's going to be one of them. We're going to do that right after this break and a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. What's up, guys? It's Jake again here to talk about what I do believe is the premium place to buy tickets for your NFL season this year. You go into Browns games trying to find the best prices. Should you wait? Should you not? You know, week one is creeping up on us, but there are some really fun games on that home schedule. And you can get any of them using the GameTime app. That is GameTime.co if you're on the web browser. But the app is where it's at. Shouldn't be stressful to buy tickets, and man, game time's the fastest, easiest way to buy those tickets for any sporting event, local, whether it's, like I said, you're going to Browns games or you want to go to concerts, comedy, theater, anything. They got killer last-minute deals, price guarantee, all the stuff you need so you can stop stressing over tickets, start getting hyped up for the fun you'll have, right? Go to the game time app. I do it all the time, looking at trying to take my nephews to an Ohio State game this year. 
you know, the, the experience of looking at not just the, the best deals, the flash deals, right? Those last minute deals you can unlock, but also being able to look at the stadium map and pick out where you want to sit and get the picture from, you know, where the spot in the stadium is. And then again, the lowest price guarantee, cancellation event protection, job loss protection, all of that stuff just makes it even better. It's the place to go for last minute tickets, or to be honest, even when you're planning ahead, I think it is 100% the place to go. And again, you, you have a fantastic mobile app. You can go online. You can look at those seats. They're sent directly to your phone. Those tickets are. You don't have to dig through your email. Two taps, you're set. Everything you need is at game time. So download the game time app, create an account, use the promo code OBR, very simply OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code OBR, $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, we're going to do a little speed round after the break here of games in the college realm we're interested in and games in the NFL schedule. So college football has a fun one, Andrew. So um, Ohio State mm-hmm. plays Youngtown State. Not much to, to worry about there. Uh, not even really much to mention. Games that catch my eye in the early slate, that Notre Dame at NC State game. Is Notre Dame for real? That's yep. a fun one. Yep. Um, well, and you and you pointed out to me that the quarterback for NC State is a is local to where we both went to high right. school. So I, I have a little bit of like a personal rooting interest in that one. So I'll definitely be tuned into some of that when I'm not watching Colorado, Nebraska, which is the other two hundred and ninety two dollars to get into a Colorado, Nebraska, not nineteen ninety five Colorado, Nebraska. Right. 2023. Yeah. Amazing. Deion Sanders is doing something out there. Is Deion, is Deion done in Colorado after a year? Yes or no? I think he's going to stick around for one more year because I don't think this is going to go as far as it feels like it. You know, I, I think they really were getting gashed on the ground. Mm-hmm. So, you know, teams are going to see that. I think they're going to figure out a way to play the, I mean, the, I think the buffs will go to a bowl game there, but they're not going to like, you know, just a boat race, the Pac-12 or anything like that. So I think it's two years in Colorado. Okay. And then if he gets more guys next year, he'll be top 10. And then and then he's got to make the jump to whatever really high profile program wants to totally turn things around. They've got a ton of fun players. I thought Nebraska was horrible week one. Um, I will be interested. Yeah, for I'll sure. be interested. I, I think that Nebraska is only getting like three points in this game. Did, did I see that right? That's right. Whew. Yep. Man. Yep. Um, okay. Well, well, that'll be, it's going to be a fascinating game. Um, other early. Yeah, it's a must watch. Yeah, it is for sure. I don't think there's anything else early than the, the two o'clock, three o'clock slate. The Ole Miss Tulane game. Yeah. Ryder can play, man. That quarterback at Tulane can really play. That one will be fun. Texas A&M at Miami is also of interest. Uh, Iowa, Iowa State. If you want to watch paint and dry, is a three thirty game that you can you can find yourself interested in. It'll somehow be snowing, even though it's yeah. And there'll be a, a lot of punts. You know, I, I'm just interested yeah. in how Iowa handles the the Ferentz son OC's minimum points he has to score this year. It's so fascinating uh, to me about that that situation at Iowa, who is a national championship quality defense last year, who was one of the more laughable offenses of the last ten years. Uh, it, it, just fascinating stuff at Iowa. Um, otherwise, I mean, I think the game that I'm most interested in the app state, North Carolina game, you know, I know you're down yep. there. That's a, that's yep. an interesting one. Lo- local relevance. Yep. Certainly. Yeah. I think, you know, the Texas Alabama game is interesting at Alabama mm-hmm. this year. Can Quinn Ewers yeah, go in there I just don't. And, and actually play yeah, well? I, Do you I, think that's an Alabama route? I, I think, I don't know about route, but I just don't, you know, Alabama doesn't get pushed in games like that. They they're just always so ready for them. I think you're right. 
I think you're right. I, even though I think I like some of Texas's skill on offense more than Alabama's, which is young, I just think the environment and Alabama's yeah. belief that we don't lose yeah. these games is going to come exactly. through. Wisconsin at Washington State is interesting, obviously, because we just want to sure. see Wisconsin keep evolving. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to see if there's any other late slate games that are of interest. USC Stanford yeah, would be yeah. Auburn at Cal. Auburn's making these trips. They went to Penn State. Now they're going out to Cal. Respect Mm -hmm. to Auburn for making some of those. Yeah, making some of those trips. Yeah, some some fun late non-conference. Auburn, California, and then Oklahoma State, Arizona. Yeah, I like those both a lot. I like those both a lot. Those are fun. All right, any players you're particularly drawn to in these um, these these matchups? I'm going to see both. Well, I mean, Colorado covers so much of that. Yeah, you know, I mean, for sure, like just whether it's you're talking about Shadur Sanders or Travis Hunter, like it's just kind of nonstop with them. Uh, And then, you know, other than that, I think just continuing to see the rise of all of these quarterbacks, there were so many guys that looked, you know, NFL ready or certainly like really strong prospects last week that just, you want to continue to see those guys do it. It's so much fun to watch college football with good quarterback play. It just really changes how the sport feels because I think we've all, you know, growing up in big 10 country, we've all watched, games where the you know the we flash back to that minnesota nebraska game last week and neither quarterback can complete a pass and it's like this just isn't fun to watch at a certain point and so yeah like washington seeing what michael Penix jr can do you know is 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 one for sure you know um yeah, there's just there's a lot of the, those guys out there I, I mean i i don't know about his pro prospects but joe milton at tennessee is so much just fun to watch he's so electric so there's just a lot of guys like that all right so switching to nfl slate now just want to look at a couple games that are really draw. I think there's a lot of really bad, like there's not a bunch of like, you know, like yeah. the Vikings bucks, but there's a lot of Ravens, Texans types, right? So um, mm-hmm. picking a couple games on this slate that are of intrigue to you, I'll get, I'll give you two and then I'll take two. So uh, go ahead and hit okay. me with yours um, that, that are in the most interesting. Uh, yeah. Number one on my list is Miami, uh, you know, chargers. I mean, this is obviously besides the Browns game. Uh, Dolphins Chargers I think you know that rematch from last year the the Chargers really gave the Dolphins some fits late in the season in terms of how the the Dolphins offense worked and so I think you know that's when the Dolphins hit that swoon where even though Tua was playing they weren't able to move the ball as well on offense so how that rematch kind of shakes out and I think you know the Justin Herbert Kellen Moore thing against Vic Fangio there's there's matchups on both sides that I think would be really interesting and that's a 425 so it'll get the undivided attention after the Browns game ends so that's one and then the other one I'll go to Monday night you know the Bills against the Jets I my working theory is that the Jets are going to slowly disintegrate over the first half of the season because they can't protect Aaron Rodgers and he is not in a place mentally you'll hate to hear me say this he's gonna he's He's not in a place mentally yeah where he can handle that type of adversity. He's been coddled for a long time in green Bay. It's the smallest market. There's not really a green Bay media. Aaron Rodgers has no idea what he's in for when he plays poorly in a jets game. I don't know if it's going to be this <laughs> week, point. but I know it's coming in the month of September and I know he is going to take it really, really poorly. So I'm expecting that to happen over the course of the first half of the season. And I don't think, you know, Nathaniel Hackett or Robert Sala are the guys to like troubleshoot this and keep, Rodgers at bay the same way that Matt LaFleur was yeah. in Green Bay. I mean, you listen to that play callers episode with, or, you know, the series with, with LaFleur, that guy is like, he comes across as one of those guys that you're like, 
and he's kind of a prick, but he gets things done, yeah. you know? And that's not the feeling that I get from either Robert Sala or Nathaniel Hackett. So I think Rodgers needed that for this sort of late career, you know, renaissance second act. And I don't think he's going to get that pushback in, in New York. I think he's going to, he's being enabled. And for a player like him, I think it just kind of ends up with like what late career Roethlisberger was like, you know, they're not going to be terrible, but it's just never going to kind of come together the way that people are expecting it to. So I want to see that Monday nighter because I think the bills can give the jets a really good game. You pick two of the best. There's um, no, it's okay. And we've already talked about Steelers 49ers, which is obviously intriguing. So we don't really need to hit on that again, but I would say, if I had to pick from the rest of the group, Packers bears has a chance to feel like a changing of the guard type of game. And I know that that game will be wildly important for Chicago, having dealt with Aaron Rodgers beating them for so long and like just having a chance to now beat around Jordan love. And obviously we saw the two huge injuries that are still lingering out there around his pass receiving quarter and Christian Watson's out already. And Romeo dubs is questionable. So that makes it really tricky. But that game is like, again, the bears coming out feeling positive around, Justin Fields and all of those guys like that's just a huge game for them a 425 kick um, like the Raiders Broncos Jags Colts Ravens Texans there are parts of those games Fal- Falcons Panthers that are interesting um, the Commanders Cardinals yeah. game is a like all time like oh feel to that game but even like Patriots mm-hmm. Eagles is just kind of like okay it's whatever mm-hmm. the only yeah. other game remaining yeah. that's intriguing is I guess Giants Cowboys where, where you get an early taste of what the Mike McCarthy calling plays is going to feel like if the Giants were sort of a one-hit wonder with Dable. That one is a 820 Sunday night football kick, so that one's obviously interesting a little bit. I just don't – there's a bunch of division games, Seahawks, Rams, that aren't all too interesting to me. Titans and Saints is the most random week yeah. one uh, affair there. Yes. So, you know, I, again, I don't think it's just the most interesting set of games here. You know, we'll watch Bucks Vikings to see how Baker ends up feeling in that offense. But uh, I think the only other one that I think is really like I'm, I'm I'm really interested to see how it shakes out is how the Giants feel year two at Dable against the Cowboys, who have just a, just a pretty high set of expectations around that uh, that team this year to win the division. As there has not been a repeat NFC East winner in a significant amount of time, so. Uh, we'll see if that shakes out, um, you know, with the, with the right start for the Cowboys. Uh, There's just a lot of pressure around a bunch of people in that organization. So, uh, listen, we're going to wrap it up. That's that's a pretty good set of uh, college preview. And then I think there's interesting NFL stuff. There, there's some more intriguing week two NFL matchups to me than week one. Um, so I'm sure we'll get a, a slew of week one overreactions and we'll cover all of that for you. But for now, I think it's just an interesting like baseline sort of week in the NFL to feel out where your team is, where I think the Browns Bengals is probably as it's being shown across the country, essentially in the one o'clock window, the premier game of the early slate. So uh, it should be fun to watch. I, I don't know what network is carrying it yet. It's probably out there, but like you said the other day, CBS. that's good because there's that Fox CBS crisscross now of division or of conferences. And it's just very, very weird. weird. It's like the big 10 CBS thing is weird at the college yeah. level. Nothing is as it used to be, so we're going to have to get used to the different theme songs. You know, I like, I'll listen to the NFL theme songs, and you hear the CBS one, and I'm like, God, that is just like Brown's 1 o'clock kick. Like, that is just that triggers the brain. Depression. Um, but Depression. but it, <laughs> more often than not, yes, that is the case. So, Andrew, thanks for doing this, man. A good show. A lot of good topics covered here, and um, should be an exciting weekend of football. Excited to recap it all with you uh, on Sunday night when we do our first, uh, you know, uh, post-game show. We're going to do those at 7.30 uh every sunday night after the game those will be live streaming it won't be right after it'll be a little bit later so we can kind of calm ourselves and have a little bit more rationality to our discourse (laughs) and uh, so 
we'll recap the Browns then. And then obviously next week, you know, you and I will find time to recap everything that happened in a should be a full weekend of football. Fun weekend of football, indeed. Full weekend of football, all of the above. It should be good. Um, hopefully, the results are what we're hoping for. That would be really fun to break that down. So, like Andrew said, seven thirty on Sunday, we'll do a full OBR rewind of the game, um, and then I'll get with Brad Ward for a little quick preview, like we do the 10, 15 minute preview for your Sunday morning consumption as well. So, thanks to Andrew for being here. We appreciate you guys being here. Join the OBR, best online Browns community, and rate and review the podcast to help other Browns fans find it. Thanks a bunch, guys. Have a fantastic Saturday, however your Saturday goes. Hopefully you find some time for some football in this podcast. Thanks for being here. Go Browns. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.